Hola. There we go. All right. I'm on. We're going through Matthew's Gospel. And we're in the section of Matthew's Gospel called the Sermon on the Mount. And this opening section of the Sermon on the Mount has taken us three weeks. Could have taken us eight weeks. That's how much there is to chew on in uh, this particular section. We really could have gone through these verse by verse, and there would have been plenty to unearth, Um, and yet uh, we want to make it all the way through Matthew's gospel. So we didn't do that, but I would encourage you to go back and spend some time in studying that. What Jesus is describing for us here is what kingdom people look like. Uh, In verses 1 through 12, or rather 3 through 12, he begins his Sermon on the Mount by explaining what a citizen of God's kingdom is like. Uh, We would call that person a Christian. Jesus doesn't use that word. Uh, But someone who belongs to the kingdom, these are their characteristics. Verses 1, excuse me, verses 3 through 6 describe their personal attitude. Verses 7 through 12 describe their posture towards other people. Uh, Today we're going to focus on verses 10 through 12. But I want to start reading in verse 3 just to jog our memories of what we've looked at so far. So if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, I encourage you to grab the one that's in the the rack in front of you. You should find today's passage on page 809. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love for you to take that one with you. Uh, And I want you to to keep it open in front of you. Sometimes we can uh, come to a sermon and the, the passage is read and then we close our Bibles. We don't want to do that. Uh, I want you looking at your Bibles more than you're looking at me, uh, because that's where the the truth is found. And so we want to we want to get our truth from God's word. So let's read together Matthew chapter five, verses two through twelve. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. And while the grass withers and the flowers fade, the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray and ask for his help. Lord Jesus, you have described for us what those who follow you ought to look like, what we ought to pursue and to seek. This is a list that challenges us. And so we would pray for your help, 
your help in convicting, but also your help in transforming. Holy Spirit, would you teach us now? Would you open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word? And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we have studied uh, the kingdom person, uh, what she's like, what he values, what we've seen is that Jesus' values go in the opposite direction of what we commonly value. What Jesus calls blessed is not necessarily what we would call blessed. And that's especially true of this last one. We would not consider it blessed to be mistreated, to be harmed, to be abused. And yet, it's this last beatitude, that word beatitude comes from the Latin word meaning to bless. This last value is the one that Jesus gives a double blessing to. Uh, He states it generally in verse 10 and then applies it more specifically in verses 11 and 12. And so we're going to look at this under two headings this morning. Initially, I had thought that uh, I would say that Christians expect to be should expect to be mistreated. But I feel like that word mistreatment is something uh, uh, is um, understated. Jesus uses the word persecuted three times, so we're going to use that word. Christians expect to be persecuted. And then second, we're going to see that Christians rejoice not because of present pain. Christians are not sadists or masochists. They don't rejoice in present pain. They rejoice because of future hope. And so let's consider these two things. First, Jesus tells us in verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And again, isn't that amazing? We would think cursed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. We would think that if I am being mistreated by someone, if I am being insulted by someone, then surely God is cursing me. God is against me. But it's interesting that Jesus says in a similar passage in Luke chapter 6, he says... Woe to you, and that word woe is the opposite of blessing. Cursed are you when all men speak well of you. Uh, Because so that that, that was how they treated the false prophets. Uh, So Jesus says we are blessed when persecuted. Uh, So remember that all of these beatitudes hang together. They're like a a chain and they're describing uh, not... Several different kinds of people. They're describing one kind of person, a kingdom person. And so I want you to go back through verses 3 through 9. And, and as we look at these words, I want you to kind of get this person in your imagination. If you need to close your eyes to think about it, go for it. But I want you to try to imagine what this person is like. Poor in spirit, mourning over sin, meek, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, merciful, Pure in heart, peacemakers. Do you have that person in in your mind's eye? And I want you to ask the question, how would that kind of person be treated? 
How would that kind of, how would people not like that treat someone like that in our rough and tumble world? And so you can see why Jesus would say, blessed are those who are persecuted. Uh, Because these are not the kinds of people that um, the world necessarily approves of. It's interesting that Jesus states this one after he says, blessed are the peacemakers. Because we see that not all attempts at peacemaking are successful. Not everybody will be at peace. And so Jesus says that Christians should expect that people will insult and abuse and slander you. Why? Well, because, again, the values of God's kingdom and the values of our world are at cross purposes with each other. Uh, those who are in the kingdom pursue different ends. They, they, they seek different goals. They dream different dreams. They are, they are two opposing worldviews. And when those worldviews collide, there is conflict. There is tension. And so Jesus says we should expect persecution. Now, but we do need to be careful here. We need to talk about what Jesus means and what he doesn't mean. So let's talk about what Jesus doesn't mean. Because it can be easy to use these verses to play the victim card. It's easy for us to go, ah, persecution. When really we need to evaluate why it is we are being persecuted. Jesus is very specific. He doesn't just say, blessed are those who are persecuted. He tells us they are persecuted for righteousness sake. He does not say... Blessed are you when others persecute you for being mean or rude or overbearing. He does not say you're blessed when others persecute you for being petty or insulting or vengeful. That is not what brings God's blessing. In fact, if I'm being persecuted because of my own foolishness, then I have no right to expect God's blessing. We want to be sure it's God's righteousness that's the cause of our persecution. He's also not talking about every cause. Right? You can be mistreated for pursuing a certain cause, but not necessarily righteousness, not necessarily Jesus's cause. And again, this requires wisdom. This requires discernment. This is where we have to be careful especially in our, in our current age, not to confuse politics and God's kingdom. Right? We can be insulted for our political views, but we do not need to assume that just because we hold those views, they are righteous views. They might be. They might be views, they might be values that align with God's kingdom, and they might not be. We need not assume that every value we hold is a value of God's kingdom simply because we hold it. And again, the way that we hold it matters as well. So, that's difficult because, right, currently every issue seems to be a political issue. Uh, We look to our political leaders for a whole, whole lot. 
when we probably ought not to. We need to remember that uh, this is Jesus' kingdom, uh, and we follow not the elephant or the donkey, we follow the lamb. And we need to bear that in mind when we evaluate uh, why it is we might be being persecuted. Paul says in Romans twelve eighteen, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. The, the emphasis there is as far as it depends on you. As much as is possible within your power, live at peace with other people. That assumes that there will be things outside of your power. That you will not be able to live at peace with all people. But it does mean this. We don't go looking for persecution. Jesus does not say, blessed are those who are looking for a fight. Rather, if we're following Jesus, we just need to know that persecution will come. Now, let's flip that over. If we're not, it's interesting that Jesus talks about persecution as if it is a regular part of the kingdom life. This side of heaven, you will be persecuted. And so then maybe we should ask the question, if I am not being persecuted, if I am not being insulted, if I am not being slandered, then am I indeed holding to righteousness? Am I indeed following Jesus? Are we experiencing the persecution that Jesus talks about here? Because he says if we are, I mean, he says if we're following him, it will come. And this is a theme that Jesus reiterates throughout his ministry. Uh, so what does Jesus mean? When he says, blessed are those who are persecuted on account of righteousness. And then and again in verse 11, verse 11, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted uh, on account of him. I think those two things are parallel to each other. Uh, to be righteous is ultimately to be like Jesus. Now, I know that sounds like a really tall order. It is a really tall order. But remember what Jesus says back in verse 6. Blessed people are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That means a couple of things. One, they want to be right before God, which Jesus gives us. He is our righteousness. We just sang about that. And then after we recognize that he is our righteousness, then we also want to do what pleases him. We want to pursue righteousness. And so like a hungry man longs for food, like a thirsty man thirsts for water, we want to be like Jesus. That's what we are pursuing. That's the direction that we are going. And Jesus then tells us that if we are going in that direction, we will be persecuted. Why? Because Jesus himself was persecuted. Now, it's common in our day uh, to hear things like this. Um, I don't have a problem with Jesus. It's his followers I don't like. Fair enough. There's some legitimate criticism there. But we can tend to paint Jesus in a way as if he, if it was just Jesus, he would get universal appeal and approval. That's, that's how we tend to look at Jesus, right? Everybody likes Jesus. But when you look at Jesus' own life, you see something quite to the contrary. Jesus was not 
universally applauded and accepted. In fact, by the end of his life, most people did not like Jesus. They wanted him dead. And even those closest to Jesus did not want to be associated with him. Jesus himself was rejected by the masses. And so we need to remember that Jesus himself was not universally accepted and liked, that many were offended and put off by Jesus. And in the end, he was persecuted and rejected. And so Jesus says, we ought to expect to be persecuted if we're following him, if we are pursuing righteousness the way Jesus describes it, which would mean we're looking like these kinds of people. Now, that doesn't sound like an invitation to a great kind of life, right? We hear that and we go, okay, well, then I think I'd rather just go another way. This is not the life that I want. But I want you to listen to what Jesus says. He tells us that if we're persecuted, we can rejoice. And we can rejoice because of future hope. Look at verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you, that's insults, persecute you, that's sometimes physical, sometimes not, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. Right? They're going to lie about you. They're going to slander you. And they're going to do that on my account, Jesus says. How should we react to such treatment? Before we answer that question, think about how you normally react to that kind of treatment. When someone lies about you, says something falsely about you, what do you want to do? Uh, when someone aims to hurt you, what do you want to do? Jesus says, Rejoice and be glad. Jesus, are you crazy? That's how I'm supposed to respond to that kind of treatment? That's not natural at all. And Jesus would say, exactly. You cannot respond this way in your own strength. This does not come naturally to us. This must, this must come from him. This is supernatural. Rejoice and be glad. Why? For your reward is great in heaven. Your reward is great in heaven. I want us to go now and I want to look at all of the list of the Beatitudes again. But I, this time, instead of focusing on the characteristics, I want to focus on the blessings that Jesus mentions. And I want to start by pointing out that the blessing in verse 10 Theirs is the kingdom of heaven is, is the same as the opening beatitude in verse 3. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Why is that important? Because I think Jesus is showing us that, all, that, that with those two bookending it, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, all of the things in the middle really describe the same thing. They're different facets of the same diamond. They're talking about the reward we can expect if we are a part of God's kingdom. So let's just go through that list. First, he says, blessed because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right? They are a part of God's kingdom. Verses 3 and 10. They belong. These are the kind of people who belong to God's kingdom. They won't be excluded. They'll be included. And then he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. How? 
Because on the last day, they won't mourn anymore. They will receive the comfort of seeing their father face to face, and he will wipe away every tear from their eye. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What in the world was that, would that, does that mean? I, I thought if I believed in Jesus that I got to go to heaven. I don't want to inherit the earth. Well, you, you need to think biblically and not culturally. Like We, we have a misconception of what, the, of what the end will look like. Right? What, what the book of Revelation tells us is not that the earth will be done away with. Remember, the earth is good. It was created very good by God. God is not looking to do away with the physical. What we see, what we will see in the last day is a new heaven and a new earth. We will see a created order remade. And Jesus says it is the meek who will inherit that created order, that new heavens and new earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? Because they will be satisfied. We will finally and fully receive the righteousness that we have longed for. Blessed are the merciful, because they will receive mercy. We've received it now, but we'll receive it in the fullest sense then. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Remember last week I said to be pure in heart is to be sincere. It's to, it's to aim for one thing, to not be divided. Jesus says if you're pure in heart, if you sincerely desire God, you will see him. Blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called sons of God. Again, this is an identity we already possess, but we will enjoy its fullness in the future. Right now, we are adopted children far from home. But then, we will have the same status, but we will finally be at home. This, when Jesus says, rejoice because your reward is great, this is the great reward that he is talking about. He's talking about what we will receive because we belong to Jesus. Oftentimes, uh, we picture the Christian life as one of giving up all of our desires, right? Playing the stoic. Right? We, don't, we don't need to desire anything. We need to put away our desires. But Jesus shows us right here that that's actually not the case. We need to desire something better. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. We're like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Jesus is showing us the kind of people we can become when we set our eyes on the right treasure. And so one of the constant questions that we've asked as we've gone through these Beatitudes, right? hopefully you've seen, right? each one of these is a very searching statement. When you read it, I hope that it pierces your heart like it pierces mine. Because my first reaction is, woe is me. I am not this person. 
This does not seem to describe me. Maybe it describes some of me some of the time, but it doesn't describe me all of the time. And so one of the questions we've been asking as we've gone through is, how in the world, if this is the blessed person, if this is the person that God smiles upon, how do I become this person? How do I learn to value what Jesus values? Well, think about your family or your workplace. Maybe you... uh, Maybe you're a teacher or maybe you run a company. How do you you encourage values in your home or in your workplace? You teach them. Yes, that works a fraction of the time. You model them, right? So you have to to do it yourself. If there's something that you want to see in your children or your students or, or your employees, it's something that you have to model. That has to be important to you so that you live it. And then I would add a third component. You teach, you model, but you also celebrate. Right? The, I remember hearing a guy say one time, he, said, he, he actually trains hunting dogs. He said, but they're really not that different from my children. He says, you get more of what you encourage. Right? You get more of what you celebrate. We learn more. We, our values are shaped more by what we celebrate. So let me ask you, Christian, do you celebrate these things? Do you celebrate the values? Do you seek to, do you, do you seek to inculcate these in your own life, but also in the lives of your family? Your employees, is this what we would encourage more of? How does that, right, because we've said this again and again, to follow Jesus is to have your values replaced and reshaped. Right? We grow up with one set of values. And when we're born again into the kingdom, those values go this way, and we are reshaped and remolded to them. A dear sister said the first week that she had never thought about this before, and I'm going to use this uh, as an example. Um, We often read these kind of things, and we think they apply to other people. Don't apply this list of attributes to other people. Apply it to yourself. Right? The first thing to think when we read this list is not, other Christians really should act like that. It's to say, this should be me. How do we begin to see those values replaced and reshaped? Well, hopefully you see that the gospel is embedded in each one. We have to see our need and ask for God's help in our need. But even more than that, we have to see what Jesus offers us. We have to see... We have to see the blessing that he offers, right? The the blessing of the kingdom. And the more that we meditate on the reward of the kingdom, we will become people of the kingdom. And so I would ask you this. What is your hope set on? What, What is it that you desire? What is your heart set on? What And what kind of person is that making you? You know that's true. 
Whatever it is you set your heart on, that is what will change you. That is what will shape you. That is what will influence you. So when you read this list and you go, whoa, this isn't me, you need to ask, then what is my heart set on? What is it that I'm longing for? And once you identify that, I want to tell you that Jesus is better. And if you want to see your values reshaped and replaced, then you need to come to him and throw yourself at his feet. And he will do the work. Let's pray. Our gracious God, thank you for a heart-searching for heart-searching verses, a heart-searching word, a word that acts like a double-edged sword, exposing us, exposing, yes, our false values, but exposing even more our false gods. That we desire things and people other than you. Lord, I pray that we would see that you are better. That like Lewis says, a holiday at the sea is on offer to us. May we not be like ignorant children playing with mud in the alleyways. Help us to see the greatness of what you have to offer. And help us to run to you. And as we do, would you transform us and make us into the people of your own image. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we respond to God's word?